Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Monday, we've got a big show for you today, as usual. we got the coach, Harvey Hyde. we talk some USC football things as the offseason is rolling along. We'll get to the summer workouts here coming up pretty soon. And then, of course, before you know it, it'll be fall camp. We're going to talk to coach about a few different topics that you guys have emailed in and had questions about. But the second half of the show should be very interesting. Uh, you might have heard his name before. Dr. Bartner, Dr. Arthur C. Bartner, he is the leader of the USC Trojan Band. And we had, if you got to catch our Tunnel Vision show last week, we had India Anderson, who's going to be the first uh, female drum major in USC band history. This is also going to be the 50th and last season for Dr. Bartner uh, running the USC Trojan Marching Band. He's done so many great things with the band. The only band to have not one, but two platinum albums playing uh, on Fleetwood Mask. Fleetwood Max Tusk. So he's a legendary feature uh, figure around USC and in uh, collegiate marching bands in general. So we're going to go into uh, going to campus and talk to doc- Dr. Bartner a little bit later on in the show. So the second half of the show will be there to uh, do that interview. And uh, Dan Weber should be with us as well. He had some questions for Dr. Bartner. So it should be a really interesting show. Uh, before we get to that, of course, we have we, right now on the line, we don't want to bird in the hand two in the bush we got coach harvey hyde on the line right now uh, follow him on twitter at coach harvey hyde or go to his website harveyhyde.com he's on the instagrams and stuff now doing a lot more with social media and some of the cool pictures uh, some older pictures with different players and coaches from uh, coach hyde's past if you want to follow him on instagram at coach harvey hyde some good stuff there how you doing coach what's up Coach Harvey Hyde on the Instagram, Coach Harvey Hyde, Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. There's a lot of Harvey Hydes there, but yes. uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I get sometimes mixed up myself, but hey, Ryan, good morning to everyone out there. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. And again, uh, yes, we are in the off season, but as I say, really there isn't an off season in football. If you're doing it the right way, it goes year round like every other job. You still put in the 16 hours a day or whatever's necessary to find a way to win because everybody's trying to win. And you got to take advantage of every single moment and utilize it the best, just like on the practice field, off the field. So, Ryan, I'm ready to go. I'm rolling, ready to go. It's been a so hopefully your weekend was good, coach. Uh, I, it was a long sort of weekend for me before we get into it. The uh, We had um, Alan Sanford and Petros Papadakis on the show a few weeks back promoting the beach life festival, which is this kind of unique music festival on the, on the beach. And it was this past weekend and I could walk there. So it's pretty good. But uh, yeah, I went every day. Um, so I'm a little worn out coach. It was uh there was a lot going on, but it's cool to see like it last night was Willie Nelson and to see him live was, was pretty cool. USC grad uh, Mark McGrath, who's uh, the lead singer of sugar Ray put on an awesome show um, there are so many cool bands, and it's like you're right on the beach. There's palm trees. Um, it was a really kind of unique experience to to do that, and it was the first year of the festival, so I'm sure they're going to do more. I think it was very successful. No crazy calamities like the fire festival or anything, uh, but it it was pretty cool, Coach. I'm just a little worn down today from all the uh, the listening to music out on the beach. 
Well, you know, the festivals are really something now. You know, out of Coachella, they got Stagecoach and all of that. And then at the Rose Bowl, they've got a festival now. And now you have a festival down on the beach. They're, they're really a popular uh, big event now. Uh, stars and artists are really using it a lot now to uh, their new songs and, um, you know, and, and all the albums they want to sing. And it's really a great atmosphere. Uh, my kids go to all those type of things like you do. And then how about last night in the Rose Bowl uh, and uh, Saturday night to uh, sell out crowds? They sold those kids out in about an hour both nights. So it's a big music weekend in Southern California. Yeah, I didn't even know about that. That's the, I forget the name. It's a big pop uh, Korean. Uh, they're right, like a right. sensation. Yeah, like they're crazy. So selling out the Rose Bowl for two uh, for two days. Um, pretty crazy there. But yeah, a lot of stuff going on here in uh Southern California, but of course, what we're most interested in is USC Trojan football. And what last week when we had you on the show, Coach, we talked sort of recapping what was going on uh, with the NFL draft and where USC players landed. The biggest surprise, and there was some uh, discussion about this, what you had said last week about Porter Gustin. So he was not drafted. And the fact, you know, a guy like that, when he's not drafted, someone that was leading the Pac-12 and sacks even you know a month after he was out with an injury something you know something weird is going on something's up there and he not only didn't uh get drafted he wasn't signed right away it took almost two full days for the new orleans saints to sign him and we were talking about this on the the live show uh, i believe new orleans runs more of a 4-3 defense which isn't really where porter porter Gustin's more of a 3-4 kind of outside rush the quarterback kind of guy. So it's a very interesting situation with Porter Gustin. And, uh, you know, he came up with that Instagram post and everything. But some of your comments that you had made, Coach, there were some people on the message boards pushing back a little bit. So I wanted to give you a kind of a chance to address that and kind of talk about where you, what you were saying. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, I, I think Porter Gustin is a great kid. I think he really worked hard to be successful. Uh, I think uh, he needed to spend more time a little bit in the areas where he didn't have his strength, as I mentioned, and uh, he needed to uh, appear to be, he probably was a great team player with a lot of respect from the players, but appear to be more part of the team and not an individual. I said that. And then I said also with his injuries, that certainly didn't help. And I don't think the position he played really helped him too, as far as being evaluated uh, uh, by the uh, NFL uh, scouts so i think there's some things like that that uh really uh people really look at today character being one and if you're a great athlete i mean if you're a number one draft choice you still have to pass all the tests but you're willing to take more of a chance and take a chance on someone in the drafting area that you hope will make the team and contribute to the team that doesn't have a lot of the some of the little flaws uh, i would say that porter had not that he can't make an NFL team, but you've got to have everything going for you today to be successful in any line of work that you're doing. There's so much competition. So I basically, you know, let me not address Port Augustine. Let's let me address uh, the way I, I address my football team. When we had our first meeting every year, and this would include our veterans as well as our freshmen coming in, that they understood that this is not any longer a passing league or not any longer an individual type of situation. 
that in passing league, you can wear whatever you want. You can do all the things you want to do. But when you come to our university where I'm at or at USC or wherever I coached, that this is the way we do it. And we'd open a playbooklet on the first page of the playbooklet before you even ran a play. I didn't care about the plays. I appeared on how we represented the program in appearance and attitude and everything we did, the way we rode the buses, the way we got on a plane, the way we treated the attendants on the plane, the way we treated our bus drivers or police escort people. We always thanked them for everything they did in extra efforts. And we also worried a lot on our parents. Now, today, uh, beards and all of those things are really accepted and long hair is really accepted, which I say fine. And I used to say this, whatever method or whatever social appearance that you want to have, I don't care what it is as long as you groom it. I want it to look in place. I want you to look like you care about what your appearance is so that when people look at you, they get a good impression of you at the first time. But you never get a second chance at a first impression. Neither does our team. When you walk out of the locker room, it's like you're going to a a wedding or a prom, you want to look good. And I say, if a team looks good, they play good. And I always used to tell you too, and you've heard me say this, uh, even Randall Cunningham came to me once and said, coach, we want our names on the back of the jersey. And you've heard me say this a million times, Ryan. I said, don't worry about it. They'll figure out who you are if you play well. <laughs> yeah. And this and this, this is really the way I feel. On everything you do on the practice field, we wear, if we wear white socks, if that's what the team's philosophy is, we wear white socks, the same height with black shoes or white shoes with black socks. Whatever it is, everyone wears it the same way. You don't adjust the styles your way because now you're part of a traditional program that is expected to win and be the best, and you set discipline standards for everyone on the field, off the field, in the classroom, no matter where you go, you represent the university as well as the football team. So I just wanted to clarify that so that people understand that you need to have everything going for you to be successful today in life. You have to be able to, uh, when people look at you, you don't get a second chance at the first impression. You go look at a car and you say, I, I like the way that car looks. That is neat. You don't even, the guy says, would you like to take a ride in it? No, I don't need to take a ride in it. I just like it. So appearance and the way you play and everything, the way you act and the words you use in your vocabulary and the way you act is so important today, not only on the football field, but everywhere you go. Because you may not know people, you don't know them, but they know who you are. And you never know who's watching you no matter where you are. So that's basically what my, I should have explained it a little bit longer in last week in saying that. He stood out for the reasons uh, that he wasn't really a team player because he didn't wear team gear. I mean, as far as pants being cut off short, sleeves rolled up, cut off, and all the above. Now, it's not his fault. You know why? People let him do it. So I used to sit in the meeting the first day, and I'd say, this is the way you wear it, this is what you have, and this is the way we're going to act around here. And you enforce it, and all of a sudden, kids like it. All of a sudden, the seniors are telling the freshmen, hey, when you go out there, coach is going to be upset, but you don't have the right socks on or the right height. So you better take those white shoelaces out of those shoes and put in the shoelaces you got, or you're going off the field. And all you have to do is do that a couple of times, and all of a sudden, there's a pride in it. No matter who you are, we're a, a Trojan. 
And that's why under the uniform of every uniform we wore, no matter where we went, it said team and then me in little letters. And when you have that type of attitude, you get a better team, better morale, and everybody. No stars. Uh, you make stars by a team effort. Not just all of what I, what I wanted to say, Ron. All right. No, that makes sense, Coach. Uh, I know there were some – the last few weeks, Coach, we've had some interesting comments on the uscfootball.com message boards following up to – uh, the the podcast, so that's good. It's getting some discussion going uh, during the off season. Uh, we got some questions, so a couple more topics we want to get to. Uh, Tom in the South Bay, so he says, Coach, how can USC beat the likes of Notre Dame and Alabama with an air raid offense? As you know, we have a soft offensive line that can't support the run, and therefore, you have a one dimensional team. The passing game can be stopped. Uh, Case in point is the second half of the Notre game, Notre Dame game last year. Coach, we have not seen a team that won a championship with this type of offense. Your thoughts, please, Tom in the South Bay. All right, now, remember I'm being asked this question, okay? And whenever I'm asked a question, I give you an honest answer. So when all of you get upset at what I might say or whatever, then you uh, know I was asked a question. Well, first of all, I think a team that passes the ball every down or 80% of the time is boring to watch a football game. It just repeat, repeat, repeat. You know what the play is going to be, going to be some type of pass or whatever it is, every single play. I think it's boring. I don't think that's the style of USC football. I think if you get better players and my X is bigger than your O, we're going to win if we execute as good both offensively, defensively, don't make mistakes and run the football and pass the football and do whatever we have to do to win in any given situation. We have to have the confidence to stop people when it's fourth and one or third and 18. And uh, I think it's very important, the style of football you play on the offensive side of the ball. We never talk about the style we play at USC on the defensive side of the football. But it's very important, too, the style you play on the defensive side of the football to be able to play the type of offenses that USC faces now, because every time they face a power type of offense, they struggle, such as Ohio State, Alabama, or whatever, because they don't, they're do not they not set up to doing that. And, and I think it's very important that you do that. Now, again, this coming year, what have they been practicing against on the defensive side of the football? Nothing but pass, pass, pass. And the times that the Trojans did run the ball in the spring, and uh, they did effectively, and that's against USC's defense because USC's defense hadn't seen it. And uh, they were somewhat uh, run upon. But I think it's a little boring to throw the ball every single time, and I think teams have come about doing that because they weren't able to win by doing it the regular way. In the old days, it was the veer, then it was the wishbone. And uh, Air Force still runs it. Uh, Navy still runs it. These teams still run it that don't get the same type of personnel that other people don't get because you don't have as much time to prepare for it. But today, everybody has time to prepare for the offense that USC is going to be playing. They aren't running something unique like the wishbone or, or th- different things or an eye double tight with a wing blowing you out because you're not used to tackling and corners are used to covering rather than tackling and all the different things. So, yeah, uh, I, I agree. I think uh, it's going to be a different brand of football. I'm not sure if USC fans are going to like that type of thing. Remember, you live with the pass and you die with the pass. And uh, 
uh, I, I'm, I told you I was, I haven't bought in yet. And, uh, I'm not sure when you get the total rush that you're going to get. And that's why I selected Sears as far as if they were going to play a game in the spring, that we might start it, but you've got to be able to avoid the rust. And I spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks watching Texas Tech play their games last year, watching North Texas State play the games last year. And they got to have an athletic quarterback. In the past, they have to have an athletic quarterback to avoid so many rushes with all the different pressures that are put on you. I think the way you beat that type of offense is you put pressure on it, keep everybody in front of you where you complete the short pass and not the deep pass. And I think uh, we'll have to see what happens. But uh, it's a new thing that USC fans are going to have to get used to. And uh, that's my thought on it. And uh, you asked me the question, so I answered it. Yeah, so a few thoughts there, Tom, uh, in the South Bay. So I would say when you talk to Graham Harrell, he's not calling it the air raid. He said, if you want the air raid, that's Mike Leach. And that's an offense where they throw it. 70% 70% of the time. If you look at North Texas, it was a 52 pass, 48 run split last year, I believe. So it was a lot closer to 50-50 than 70-30 than what you're getting. I think there's legitimate concerns with the offensive line because you're not really sure. Now, you got Tim Drevno in there. Uh, they didn't show, there wasn't a whole lot of depth this last spring. There's basically just the starters were out there. Uh, running the show, do, do you know that they can just line up and run at somebody? I think they would like to. I, that hasn't, like Coach Harvey Height said, I don't think that's been proven yet. It's sort of a wait and see thing. Um, you know, you have the uh, the right tackle coming in uh, from Tennessee. Uh, when, you know, when Drew gets in there, I think it's going to uh, help. Uh, you know, help that d- the depth a lot with the offensive line. But we don't really know what's going on there. But if you think this is only going to be a passing offense, at least that's not what Graham Harrell has sold it as. And what we saw the last couple of years at North Texas, um, it's a different kind of passing offense. I think it's going to be a better passing offense than what you saw um, from the last couple of years, but don't think of it as uh, they're just going to throw the ball all over the place. And that's exactly what the offense is, but they might have to resort to that if they can't run the football and like Coach Harvey Hyde said, one of the concerns, we didn't see uh, any kind of zone read stuff where it's designed quarterback runs throughout the spring. So that would be, if you did more of that, that would certainly be an advantage for Jack Sears. But I think Coach Hyde has a legitimate point where if you're, you're trying to get the ball out quicker and there's a lot of exotic pressures coming in and the quarterback has to get off his spot, if you have a more mobile quarterback, obviously that's going to be a lot easier. So I think, you know, if the, the better the offensive line plays, that's probably, that's going to certainly help the quarterback as in all situations. But if you're, the offensive line is, you know, giving up pressures and you're going to, you know, only have five guys in the block a lot of times with five people out in uh, patterns and you have these exotic blitzes where you're going to get someone in your face fairly quickly, uh, a Jack Sears, I think would have an advantage because he's going to be able to run around and get away from that a little bit easier than JT Daniels. So I, I, Tom, I, you know, still wait and see. I think I I was impressed with what I saw. It looks like it's going to be better overall as an offense, but it hasn't come together hundred percent. We just don't know. And of course you haven't seen it out there with live bullets playing the likes of a Notre Dame or an Alabama or someone like that. Um, But we've seen Oklahoma run something similar and do very well. Um, You know, we've seen different programs do that. Uh, And I, I think for USC, 
I wouldn't worry about winning championships. First, you got to worry about getting a winning record. Uh, I just think having this offense, it's going to be better overall. They're going to win more games, score more points, win more games. Then I think if you can get back to winning the Pac-12, um, and then you're not, you know, maybe you're making the playoffs, but you can't get over that hump. Then I think you can worry about that. For now, I think you just have to get back to winning ways at all, just trying to win games because they weren't, they haven't been doing that, you know, the last year. Hey Ryan, I agree with you. First of all, they have a philosophy now and an identity now. In the past, except for Sam Darnold, they didn't have any identity. I wasn't sure what play they were going to run or if they could line up properly without having to delay a game and stare at the sideline and all of the above. Now they have a philosophy and they're trying to create an identity, which USC never had on offense, an identity. Now at least we know what they're attempting to do, and I think that also they they will, uh, I hope, run the football uh, in different type of game situations to keep the defense off balance, and I'm waiting to see that, and I hope that all comes about, and uh, we'll see what happens. But I've just uh, answered the question of this gentleman that asked the question, and right now, you know, everything isn't hunky-dory. I mean, everybody's trying to – I think the worst thing that can happen is – build up the expectations bigger than what it should be. I think it's better to low play things and let it mature and come about than to overplay things as far as saying, and then people expecting so much that it doesn't happen. And then everybody's disappointed. So I would rather say we got a lot to work on and we've got a lot of areas of our game and all areas of our game to become a better football team. And uh, I think that's what people should be doing. And I think that's what I'm saying in our podcast and the shows that I do and not build up the expectations where they're too high to reach. So let's let it grow gradually and let it happen. All right. Well, thanks for that, for that question, Tom. Let's move on to uh, Troy. He says, coach, uh, as you know, every team needs to have some dog in them to be successful. I have been wondering does this team have any dog in them? I mean, if the blank hits the fan next year, what will uh, what group on this team is going to stand up and say no more? You can include the coaches as a group as well. What group would you, would you take tomorrow into an alley with you? Our special team group with our Australian rugby punt rugby kicker. He's actually Australian rules football, not rugby. But uh, is that the is he the toughest on the team? Lord help us all. What say you? Troy Trojan. Troy Trojan. What was that term he used, uh, Ryan? Uh, dog in him. He wants to. He wants you to have some dog in you. Okay, dog. Uh, well, uh, probably if you uh, you hit me cold on this, probably I would say the group I wouldn't want to fight uh, as far as on the SC team right now, or the group I'd want to be in a foxhole with, maybe probably the linebackers. Um, I think that, uh, uh, they're honorary enough. I need some honorary guys that are willing to, you know, when I say take the pointer, all right, uh, I'll cover you that they're going to cover me and I'm going to cover them. I want to see somebody a little angry and with the attitude, they really want to win and get after it. I think the offensive line is still some question mark about, uh, can they bleed from the arms and like it and, uh, no, they're not going to bleed to death from a cut on their arm or whatever. The defensive line, I'm waiting for them to become more emotional, more emotional in their play with excitement and vigor. 
and try to destroy somebody. And the secondary is a little thin uh, right now, so I can't make a th- uh, play there. But I'd take Hufunga. He can play on my team. I mean, I'd take him with me. And there's a true winner. I'll tell you, without him on defense last year, I don't know what or how, you know, uh, he got beat on some passes. The boy, could he play as a freshman, I'm telling you. On the offensive side, uh, I think Malapi is a tough dude. Steps is going to become a tough dude. I'd, I'd like to have Malapi in the foxhole with me. I think he's a tough dude. Uh, Carr, we got to get Carr well, so I can't take him with me on this trip. Uh, and, and I would say that everybody else is more finesse type of player. But uh, that's my that's my answer on that. And then special teams, of course, I can't get involved in that. But those guys are special guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it's, inter- it's it's interesting from Troy Trojan about does this team really have dog in them? And you know, we would talk about like leadership abilities, and we've seen over the last few years, like last year, there were some good senior leaders on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but you're talking about, you know, a lot of the captains are coming from the defensive side of the ball and coach that's where you were starting with as far as, you know, you know, which guys would you want with you in an alley on the offensive side? We've seen some really good players, but they're kind of quieter guys like a Sam Darnold. You'd want him in your foxhole all the time as far as playing football, but he was more of a lead by example, quiet guy. And, uh, you know, JT Daniels, when he started last year, same sort of thing. I know maybe maybe that's what Troy's kind of getting to a little bit, Coach, is that some of the leaders are just sort of, uh, you know, they're, they're not the you know outgoing, gregarious kind of people that would stand up on a table. We've had some of those, you know, seen you know in the program before, like a Zach Banner was boisterous. He would just get out there and say all kinds of stuff. Or a Chris Hawkins, um, he's a great quote, and he would always, you know, say whatever he was feeling. But I, I think there's they're lacking a little bit of that, Coach, and maybe that's what Troy's kind of getting to. I think so. I think I know what you mean by that, and I and I agree with you. It's a more of a, a quiet group, and I think a lot of that comes from the coaching staff's philosophy. The coaching staff is not an angry coaching staff, and they coach really uh, pretty quiet. It's probably it's a pretty quiet practice field, right? And I think you'd agree with that. You're out there. You don't hear any really Ed Orgeron's or – Tim Davis or some of these guys that you used to be able to hear from Figueroa. Uh, I mean, I, it's not uh, that philosophy that's out there. Get along, you don't have to yell. Uh, toughness comes from being tough. If you ever watch a Nick Saban program or practice, there isn't a lot of yelling that's going on there, but I'll tell you what, you don't take a play off because the guy sees everything, he even watches his coaches, and you're going to play hard every single down every minute. And uh, it, it does, yelling doesn't necessarily mean you're doing a good job of coaching. But being on top of everything means you're doing a good job of coaching. You know, like I mentioned earlier, if your jersey's supposed to be tucked in, they're tucked in. It all comes down to little things that make the difference in winning and losing as far as being alert, as far as not having illegal procedures because you're thinking and all of the above. So, you know, it all comes from the little things. You're not a Hollywood star out there. You know, you these kids have been stars their whole life and all of a sudden arrive on the stage and all of a sudden they, they, they don't have that. They, they made it before they've done anything. They haven't done anything. So I think you got to be hungry. And, uh, I think these players sometimes aren't as hungry as others. 
Yeah, and you know, maybe some of it too, Coach, would be that when he talked about the going gets rough, you know, he said the the blank hits the fan. Things are going tough out there. You know, the, whatever you are, whatever you're doing, it could be a workout uh, in the middle of a game, and it's not just about okay, come have the coaches come up with a perfect play. It's about a player, a group of players, just saying okay, by pure grit and determination and toughness, we're going to change things up and make it happen, and just show that kind of attitude a little bit. And I'm curious to see which which kind of group would be capable of doing that? I'd probably lean with you on the, you know, some of the linebacker side. I think the defensive line, you got some guys there. We, we've seen the receivers go out and just make ridiculous plays and when they're double covered and stuff. So I think there's some of that in there. There's some dog uh, in some of those guys. But, you know, with everything, it's just they probably need a little bit more of that. Like would, would Alabama or Notre Dame, would you have more guys that are kind of like that? You know, maybe so. And And like you said, some of that's a reflection on the coaching staff too. Just the you know you take on the personality uh, of of your coaches a lot of times, at least on the player side. You do, and I'll tell you. See, I don't see the type of drills that the team watches where you're exposed if you're not a tough guy. I don't see any one-on-ones in front of everybody, even us, the media, the Oklahoma drill. I don't know how many of you know what that is, but it's one-on-one with a back behind it and a guy behind that, either reading the block or linebacker behind that that you have to bust his tackle at the second level well people get excited but you get exposed when you're going one-on-one with a defensive lineman on your nose and you're an offensive lineman the team's watching you get exposed on who likes to hit and who doesn't hit i mean these are the type of drills and you put guards on linebackers and nose guards on centers so centers get used to hitting people live man and all these different things and taking a handoff and running the ball half line inside drill live in front of everybody where everybody sees uh, what's going on because all of a sudden uh, the guy doesn't want to hit anybody you, you, you'll find out who he is in a hurry he'll get his helmet twisted around he'll be looking out the back of his helmet so the prideful guy steps up and the same thing with one-on-one with uh, stock blocking and blocking with the receivers on the defensive backs and doing it live in front of everybody, where everybody can see it, right on the sideline, in front of the parents and everybody. This is the type of thing you need to do more of as far as bringing out the toughness and leadership in players and domination blocks. I used to call that dominate, dominate. And uh, you find this out by demonstrating that in practice in front of a crowd, in front of people. So, you know, a lot of these type of things I don't see currently at USC. Now, maybe you don't do that anymore. Well, I don't know. I believe you do that all the time, because football is a physical football game. But those type of drills work, because you find out who's got the courage, who's got the toughness uh, immediately. All right, we got one last uh, topic for you, Coach. This was a text message from our buddy Rob in Santa Clara. He asked last week about some of the Reggie Bush stuff and uh, you know what that all meant and everything. And so there, you know, we talked about it on the show last week. Uh, with you know Reggie Bush and you know trying to get reinstated in the NCAA, you know giving him the lifetime ban and all that kind of stuff, but also we talked about it uh, with Dan Weber on uh, you know the show with Keely Yor and Dan Weber. So it's been kind of going around the message boards a little bit. But his follow up comment was, "We will never get a fair shake from the NCAA, ESPN, and shockingly from our own commissioner and conference in the Pac-12." I say get Ur- Urban Meyer at all costs and dare the NCAA to take away the title. So that's from. Rob and Santa Clara, not really happy with the way USC has been treated. 
Well, no, that's true. But part of it, as I mentioned last week, too, in other podcasts and shows, that uh, USC took it sitting down. They didn't fight it. They didn't rebel. They didn't tell their commissioner, hey, stand up for our conference. You know this is wrong. You didn't see the fellow uh, people in the conference stand up and stick up for one of their uh, teams in their conference. It was uh, it was the worst thing to happen, the worst penalty ever on a on that type of violation. Yet I'm not happy it happened. Don't get me wrong, but again, you got to stick up for your program and your teams. And I think a lot of people sit back and say, "My goodness, are we going to let the, somebody shove us down, and we're not going to at least find out why and fight back and say what's this all about?" Yeah, they were going to negotiate it out by one of the athletic directors that thought it was better to negotiate it out against them, and that doesn't work, okay? So uh, I think I'm, I really think that the entire thing, you've heard me say this over and over and over, the sanctions and the returning of the Heisman Trophy and all of the above and the banding him as far as being on campus and all of that, I think is a little bit ridiculous, okay? Overboard, but who's doing anything about it? Who's stepping up and saying that's enough of that? We want the Heisman trophies back, and we're putting them back up in our office. He won them on the field, and blah blah blah. We've done our term, and that's the end of it. I don't see anybody talking about it in administration or anybody. We are, the fans are, but who else is? I don't know. That's the things I worry about and wonder about. Yeah. I uh, know it's definitely a lot of uh, blame to go around and USC still trying to kind of recover from that a lot. Most, you know, certainly that was a huge impact on the program, but uh, you know, more so have been the decisions made by USC's administration following uh, the sanctions that have hurt the, the program even worse. So, um, you know, we'll see where they go from here, but there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of bad decisions. I guess you could say coach and just the way they, handled that and fought that and didn't get support from the conference and teams around them. Uh, you wouldn't see that in the SEC. They, you know, The SEC would know, hey, you can't take down Alabama. That's going to hurt the whole conference. The Pac-12, different attitude. Like, oh, take down Alabama because that'll make the other teams better and we'll have more parity, which obviously that hasn't worked. The Pac-12 is, when USC's down, that's not good for the Pac-12. Um, no, and that was sort of Pat Hayden's philosophy. Let's share the revenue. Uh, let's do this. Let's do that. All all these things. Let's send our kids to concerts. Uh, let's give them a college experience. Hey, you have a college experience, okay? Uh, they went to college to get a degree and play football. They love it. In fact, a lot of us went to colleges to play football and got a degree because we had to stay eligible. I mean, why can't we admit these type of things? There's nothing wrong with admitting those type of things and saying, hey, football is responsible for my success. Because I wouldn't have gone to college unless I had a football scholarship or wanted to play football. Is that embarrassing to say? Uh, excuse me. I don't know if that's embarrassing to say. Football has been a big part of my life, and it changed my life. So why is that embarrassing to say? And uh, uh, I think sometimes people are trying to be too politically correct rather than being factual and saying the real truth. And I think that's what sometimes we're lacking. Yeah. All right, Coach. Well, good stuff. Um, looking forward to uh, talking with you again next week. Thanks again for coming on. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you very much. And I appreciate all of you for uh, uh, sending in your questions and also listening and all of the above. And, Ryan, I look forward to being with you again. 
Yeah, you too, Coach, and uh, thanks for coming on. Everyone else, back in a quick minute, we're going to talk to Dr. Arthur C. Bartner about 50 years with the Trojan Marching Band. Stay tuned for that. All right, as promised, we are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We have Dr. Arthur C. Bartner. He is the director of the USC Trojan Marching Band, going on 50 years. I don't think he's on Twitter, but you can follow the band at USCTMB. Also go to uscband.com. It is the largest spirit organization on campus, over 300 members for the Spirit of, spirit of Troy. They play over 350 events per year. They've been to over 400 straight football games, home and away. Dr. Bartner, thanks for uh, inviting us into your office and letting us you, uh, come talk to you about the band. You're welcome. This is uh, this is pretty cool. So you guys are in a brand new area. You took you you know took you a few years, right? Your first second year, you didn't get to move into a new area. Yes, I I didn't think it was ever going to happen, but uh, two of my students had tea with the president of the university <laughs> and, you know, with a bunch of other students. And he went around the room and said, what's your favorite part of the university? And they said, the Trojan Marching Band. What was your least favorite part? Where the band is housed. <laughs> and President Nakia said, well, you know, I'm going to go down and see for himself. And he was horrified. We were in the basement of Stonier Hall, without lockers, without a lounge, without an indoor facility, uh, office on top of office. And the president said, it's your last season in this situation. I'm going to change this. And he changed it. So we're in King Hall now, where the U, if you remember, if you've been around the USC campus, the USC Credit Union used to be here. But you got this really cool office. You got platinum albums in your this is pretty nice, so a nice way to go out. you got a year or so left. This is a good way to go out, I would say. Thank you. And you know what the most important thing is? I have windows. <laughs> if, when you live... You're in the basement? <laughs> yeah, when you live how many years? Since 95 in a basement without windows to get sunlight. And win- oh, it's the greatest. No, this is pretty cool. I mean, the accomplishments from, from you are endless, uh, but I wanted to kind of talk about your beginning and how you started with the USC Trojan Marching Band. You started in 1970, I believe it was, and you were you went to Michigan. You were directing high school bands in Michigan, and they invite you to come out here. How how did something like that happen? And, and you're here for 50 years. Well, it, uh, that's a good question. Uh, yes, I, I I worked with a high school band, and at the same time, I was going to school, getting my doctorate. At the same time, I was married. And my wife was raising two kids. Oh, wow. Uh, had 20 private trumpet students, had a dance band. Had, it was crazy. But the story goes that the USC job opened up. Nobody locally would take the job because they knew how bad the USC band was at the time. Oh. And a fellow doctoral student who who was actually 
I should say, a fellow bandsman from the Michigan band who is getting his doctorate at USC. Well, he says, I know this guy by the name of Art Partner, and he's building a great high school band, and he would be perfect for this job. So I was invited to come out. Uh, the dean of the School of Music was also a USC, excuse me, a US, a University of Michigan graduate. Oh, okay. So, so I had that. A little uh, connection there. Had a little connection, <laughs> didn't help. And, uh, and lo and behold, at the age of 30, I was accepted to be the band director at USC. Wow. And so at the time, like you said, it wasn't that, uh, it wasn't a job everyone was clamoring for. You've grown it by over three times, I believe. It was under 100 members at the time. What was the band like now compared, I mean, then compared to like what you built it into in those first, you know, few years? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, and I have to go back to Marv Goo. Oh. Marv Goo was the, the only person on this campus that paid attention to me. And he said, Art, you got to come out to the practice field. Watch how I work with the defensive linemen. This is how I want you to build the band. And he and I bonded. And I, the philosophy, at that time, the band had no direction. There, were, there was no brand. There was... There was no energy. There was no goal. They had no identity. And through Marv, I was able to tie the band into the football team. Okay. And we connected, and we did the jock rallies, and we did started to do events with the team, with the athletic department, and all that happened. People say it was my vision. But without Marv Goo's mentorship, none of that would ever happen. And the other thing I did, two things. Number one, I let women in the band. Uh -huh. I never got the part that women were not allowed on the gridiron. So I let women into the band, and, and now I have a, a woman drum major. Yes. So you can see it's gone full circle in 50 years. The other thing that I did was I took control of the music school scholarships. Before I arrived, you had to be in a marching band to get your music school scholarship. So you had a bunch of students who really didn't want to be out there. They just wanted their money. Oh, okay. So I took control, and now I got students who wanted to be out there, who wanted to support their team, wanted to bleed cardinally gold. And now our scholarships are merit-based. The better the player, the more you're involved, the more you put into the program, the bigger the stipend. Oh, okay. From what I understand, <clears throat> you probably can't use the word that Marv said, I don't want this kind of a band, right? He told you the kind of band he didn't want, and we probably can't use that word. Uh, yeah, you, you know, I, I can remember the first jock rally in the team, and this really dates us because this was in the basement 
of the old PE building. Okay. And, you know, you took the band was only 80 guys. The team was maybe another 80 crammed into this basement of the PE building. And it was the Marv Goose show. And everything he said was peppered with a four-letter <laughs> word. And I'm going like, whoa, what, you know, what's going on here? And uh, he said you, he wanted the band to be like him. He wanted he, to be like his band. Yes. Well, he loved, Tough guys. he loved the physicality. He loved the discipline part. And I think that's what I brought to USC. Our rehearsals are different than any other band in the program because we work hard, but they're also a pep rally. We're always stopping. We're playing for the team, which is right across the street there. And so, you know, we'll stop the rehearsal in the middle of whatever we're doing, and we'll play the fight songs. And this is what Marv Goo brought. And... Uh, and it makes the rehearsal fun. It keeps the energy up. It probably didn't hurt <clears throat> that they won a couple of national championships in the next couple of years after you got here. Well, <laughs> it probably helped a little bit. You know, our mantra, 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 hmm. is it doesn't matter what the score is. It doesn't matter if we're up 40 points, we're down 40 points. We don't care what the weather is. The marching band is always the same. We are consistent. We will cheer to the end of the game. We never leave a game early. We're there a half an hour before the game starts. We're there a half an hour after the team leaves. We are a constant. We're playing those school songs all the way through the game. Now, that being said, is it easier when the team is winning, going to the Rose Bowl? You got to believe it's easier. You get the crowd up. It's easy. It is tough when you don't score any points in the second half. Yeah. It is tough when you get behind by 50 points playing Notre Dame. But it should never affect the performance of the band. And again, you know, I, I, I'm a product of all these great coaches. Marv Goo, John Robinson, Pete Carroll, Ed O'Geron, John Baxter. The greatest joy for me is that I've befriended all these coaches. I've always wanted to be a coach. Maybe I am a coach <laughs> <You> disguised <are. laughs> as a band director. Well, the word is you were a pretty good basketball player in New Jersey. Is that is that a, yes. a true story? I, I, I took it very seriously. I was actually honorable mention all state. I have to admit that I was a better trumpet player. Uh, but I was also All-State trumpet. It's a very unique combination. Yeah. But then I went to the University of Michigan and found <laughs> out uh, I lasted one day at basketball tryout, looked around the room and said, uh, I better join the marching band because <laughs> I, I got a chance. And by the way, it's a great, great band. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I marched in the band four years and uh, then I went on into high school and 
How is it that the great programs have the great bands, and they also have the great fight songs? Is that just by accident? Uh, what is it that Notre Dame and Michigan and Ohio State, USC, how does that all work together? Because yes, well, there's there's no there's no question that the fight song is something that you rally around, and I and, and you know going back to Michigan. The thing that was great about the Michigan band, they always sang that second time through. It was always hail to the victors valiant. Even if they're down 40 points, you always got that hail to the victors. So I come to USC and I said, you know, fight on for old SC. (laughs) We have a better football team than Michigan at the time. (laughs) Why aren't we singing the fight song? And we still, the band sings the second chorus of Fight On. The team sings the second chorus. I now have some of the students, but I can't get our crowd to sing the second chorus of our great fight song. Uh, And that's probably one of the big differences between the Midwest and the West Coast. Yeah, you go to Michigan, you get a hundred thousand people singing their fight song. You go to USC, you get the band. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you, you made a tweak, so tweaks to some of the traditional stuff, like we talked with the fight song. But one of the other things you did was bring modern music into the band, which I guess not really a lot of people have done that. Were you? It was kind of a pioneering move for you. Yes, yes, and I, I learned. I mean, the, the one thing you have to give me credit for, I listen and I learn. Even today, I, I learned from Coach Baxter. He's amazing. You know, he's an intellectual disguised as a football coach. <laughs> Smart. And I learned from him. I, I learned from these students. These students are a lot smarter than I am. I can still yell at them, but they are really smart kids. Now, in 1970, I take what I consider the best University of Michigan show up to Stanford on the road. Now, this is back when Stanford had a pretty good band. They were bigger than us. Uh, They were playing contemporary music. And here I go out with a Michigan show, Broadway show, dated, you know, and I get this uh, very courteous applause. (laughs) (laughs) Then Stanford Band goes on and people are cheering. The student body is into it. And I'm going, hey, I missed the boat here. So what I learned was, I've got to take my Michigan background and develop a West Coast philosophy. I've, I've got to update this. I've got to become a Hollywood band. Forget Broadway. i I got to be, you know, playing, you know, top 10 hits. And one of the first groups that we started to play was Chicago. Make me smile. Great stuff. Michigan band would never play that. <laughs> So that was a very uh, learning situation for me that first year. 
that you to identify that this could be a Hollywood band, I think was obviously really smart. Playing in movies, playing, uh, you know, on television shows, playing, you know, you have a platinum album right behind you for Tusk, you know, uh, with, you know, modern bands like that. I mean, that that was smart. Your environment had to change. It wasn't going to be the traditional stuff you were doing in Michigan. You had to do it for Hollywood, and it seemed to work really well. I, I am... Uh, I, I honestly feel that I'm the right guy for the job because I'm starstruck. <laughs> My first guest star in 1970 was Henry Mancini. Wow. Now, I've played his music forever, but now I get to sit across from Henry Mancini. By the way, he's another guy that everything he said had a four-letter word in it. <laughs> uh, big cigar, you know, I'm, and I'm going... Again, I'm a 30-year-old kid going, oh, this is the real deal. <laughs> and then what happens, the last game of the year, Notre Dame, Joe Montana is the quarterback. They're ranked probably number one in the country, we're whatever we are. And we do a Mancini halftime show. Peter Gunn, uh, Pinball Wizard, all these tunes that I grew up with. And he guest conducts the show and puts it on his TV show. So we get a double bounce. Yeah. And it rained the entire game. <laughs> and you know what? We upset Notre Dame that game. So you talk about a win-win situation. So ever since I've been starstruck, I love the idea of, of offering this type of experience to my studios. The Fleetwood Mac, Diana Ross, uh, Jason Derulo. I, I mean... All, all you got Diana Ross in 72 for the Rose Bowl? Was that it? Yeah, that 73. Was, 73. That was a big hit. That was uh, when you, you go through your career, you have watershed moments. Because now you're trying to build this band program. And uh, you need certain moments that you will have what I call hit the home run and now attract other man, other students into the band. You'll, you'll attract a following. You'll build a brand. And Diana Ross in front of, what, a billion people on NBC, NBC she goes out in her emerald mink coat. She walks out to that 50-yard line and she sings uh, Our Love is Here to Stay from a movie about a Billie Holiday that she was up for an Academy War. And she goes out and sings this tune and it brought the house down. Now, to be honest with you, I didn't think the band was very good. But she was great. And because she was great, because our football team was great, all of a sudden it built this ambiance about the band. Well, they got to be great. You now have to join this band because they're part of this greatness. And this was like the beginning to start to develop the brand that we know of the Trojan Marching Band. Yeah, the, I mean, the the sunglasses, and we just had, you mentioned, you know, the first female drum major, India Anderson, we had her on our, our live show last week, and she was great, 
And we were talking about that. Like, if you're in high school and you're in the band, you know, you might not be in the coolest group. You might not sit at the cool table for lunch or something. But at USC, and I remember that when I came in as a student, it's like my friends that were in the band wearing the sunglasses, they're singing the songs, doing all this stuff. It became like there's a cool factor there. And having yeah. some of the, you know, the, tie, the Hollywood ties, I think, probably helped that a lot. Oh, absolutely. And, it, and again, you know, this is a vision that I have that uh, I wanted the band to be rock stars. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wanted them to walk around this campus and say, hey, I'm a rock star. Why? Because I just did seven dates with Fleetwood Mac in the fall. <laughs> okay. I was just on national television with James Corden in the taxi cab where he talks to people, yeah. whatever, wherever he does. Uh, <laughs> and because the average high school band is kind of a very insular thing. You know, they go to band contests and they win trophies, but they don't have this, this huge following uh, this huge brand that's known all over the country. Uh, I've gone on a, a, a cruise a couple of years back, and you know, people, I'm just not another cruise guy, but when people find that I'm the mm -hmm. director of the USC band and I performed with Fleetwood Mac, all the Brits go, bow down, bow down. This guy's a, a celebrity. He's more important than a captain of the ship. But it's, it's not because of me. It's because of the association with Fleetwood Mac. I know uh, I, I was doing a, a traveling college football hall of fame, uh, and we did the Notre Dame-USC game in 1979. And it had just snowed, I think, like Thursday night in South Bend. And here it is Saturday, and we're in the tunnel with the USC band before the game, and they all put on their sunglasses. And I thought, this is like the coolest thing in the world. I mean, it's just, you know, and the sun was out and everything. But I just thought they did have that cool factor. I mean, there was something I said, wow, I've never seen. There was just an attitude about the USC band. And we're in the tunnel with them, and like, these guys are cool. Well, it's interesting how that came about because about that time uh, we changed uniforms, right? And we went to this uh, very shiny helmet. It's it's made out of fiberglass, but it because of the finish, yeah. it reflects the sun, the lights, and then the kids come up with this idea. But you know, by the way, you know, most of these clever ideas do not generate from hmm. me. They generate from the students. It's really their band. And they come up with this idea because the helmets are so bright, it's going to blind the crowd so we'll wear sunglasses. <laughs> so it's kind of reverse <laughs> philosophy. And, yeah. it's, and again, it's the mystique of the USC band because you put the helmets on which are intimidating enough, but then you put the glasses on <laughs> so you can't see their eyes. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very intimidating look. So it's, 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 it's like the perfect look for us. It just is the right look. It's just cool. And you've still got some of that, the Marv goo with the helmets and the toughness. You got yes. the kind of cool and the, uh, you know, tough guys yeah, and, together. And I love, 
you know, if you notice on our uniform, there's there's no Trojan spell out or a USC or a interlocking SC. All you get is the shield. Yeah. And the shield is the symbol of the band, and it fills the overlay of the uniform. Then it has a long cape that gives you that Greek Roman Ben Hur look, mm. and then you have the stripes down the leg. So. And I learned this from Pete Carroll, that we not only want to be the best, we want to be unique. We don't want to look like Ohio State. By the way, they have the same uniforms that when I went to Michigan, same uniform. We don't want to be like Michigan. We want to be like USC. So it's that uniqueness that we, when we turn the corner of the Rose Bowl, you know it's the USC Trojan Marching Band. I have a theory about band uniforms. I think that the teams that are the bands that have the tallest hats, headgear, whatever, with the tallest flower or plumes or whatever, there's no way you can march. If you're if you're coming out with those high hats and then on top of them, the team, the bands that, that do that, they're not going to be good marching bands. Yeah, well, that's it, my theory. It, 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 there's some truth in that. In that. Uh, First of all, the, the wind yeah. and inclement <laughs> weather affects that. And the other things, they have a tendency to blow off. Yeah. So at the end of the show, you look on the field, they got all these plumes, <laughs> and then all the little guys run out, and they pick this stuff up. And it's just, uh, yes, well, ours, our helmet is the most expensive part of the uniform. Really? And you cannot go to a uniform company and pull it off the shelf. We assemble these helmets ourselves because it has four elements. It has the plumage, it has the shell, it has the ear flaps, and it has the visor. Oh. So we order these from four different places, and then my kids uh, assemble it themselves. Wow. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty well attached. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's very seldom do you see a, a helmet fall off or a yeah. plume yeah, disappear. So the the tusk thing is obviously super cool with the you know the platinum album when you'd see him play with you know and I remember seeing him play on VH1 and they'd come out and sing yes. and I mean that's the you know being on TV that's pretty cool. When I was a student back in the you know early '90s, two of the things that stood out to me were. Heartbreaker when the the trumpet players would come out like that was awesome. Yeah, and then the I don't remember when this started, but the Stanford Counter March. Yes. Um, so maybe so you said you were saying Stanford had a like a regular band before, but that's not the case now. Maybe yeah. if you want to talk about the origins of those two things, that are kind of yeah. Cool. The uh, again the kind of the neat thing about the band is that we've developed what, what I call the book. If you join the band. There's certain tunes that we're going to play, other than our fight songs, that we have a response from our student body. They sing along. They got their own choreography. They picked up from the band. And it's In the Stone by uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. We just performed with, with them the other, other week. Uh, Heartbreaker is Pat Benatar. Kids Aren't All Right. Yeah which was written by Dexter Holland, who's a, a USC graduate. Uh, Frankenstein, which was one of the original tunes back in the 70s. Back We played back at Notre Dame in 73. So 
we we kind of have this book, and, and if you if you grow up listening to the USC band, one of the reasons why you join is you know you're gonna play this book. Okay. Now the the Stanford band, and I've already alluded to them. Uh, I I've I've through the years I've developed this parody of the Stanford band, and it's kind of as you watch the Stanford band. They kind of self-destructed. <laughs> the weaker they got as far as you know formations, uh, playing ability, and so on, they they replaced that by being what they thought was very clever. Yeah, yeah. But they became very offensive, and they started offending people and making fun of people, and so on and so forth. So we decided to do this uh, parody. Where we started out, well, this is what we used to be. The lines are straight. We did this <laughs> counter march. We did all this stuff. But then, little by little, it was the demise of the Stanford band. Yeah. One part of the band, uh, I think the tune was, uh, oh, I can't remember the tune, but uh, there was this rock chart that started infiltrating the traditional uh, counter march. And by the end of the time, by the end of the number. You got the Stanford band guys rolling on their back doing whatever, doing, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> it's become a tradition. Every yeah. Stanford game, you'll get this Stanford countermark. Yeah, it's just cool to see like the straight lines and then complete chaos and then falling right back into the yes. straight lines and everything. So it's, it, I think we talked to India about that on the show too, but that's just one of those things that stood out to me. So I, I'm glad I know the origin of it now. Do they have a band director at Stanford? <laughs> yes, they they what have. Be like. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, this has been a, a very recent addition, maybe two or three years. Uh, not to spend a lot of time on Stanford Band, but they've, yeah. they've been in and out of trouble. Yeah. They've been barred from traveling they yeah. and so on. So they have a band director. And, uh, of course, the, the secret is, is is to keep it fun, student-run organization, but give it some discipline. So... <laughs> They sure sound the same. He's to me. like a hall monitor. I'm yeah. Guessing, yeah. Yes. I I don't think they're as offensive now because maybe. maybe he censors along with the athletic department their scripts now. So I don't <laughs> think they go around offending people as much as before. Okay. Yeah. You know the one thing about the USC band, you couldn't probably copy the USC if you were another band and said let's you just you don't do things that somebody else could copy. You, yeah. you know, I mean, I just get that sense. It, well, it's very true. As as I'm gearing up to retire in the next year and a half, uh, I'm talking to the dean of the School of Music, and to me, it's very important to have somebody who's been through the program. You can't bring in somebody from the outside because they won't understand the working it's so unique the, the, the learning curve would be unbelievable and 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 my greatest fear that they would start you know jeopardizing the band traditions that have really made the band and the relationship with our team and our student body really a wonderful thing and uh you know i want to protect that I don't want to 
interrupt too much, but Ryan has is a completely opposite approach <laughs> to football coaches. His job, he says now, is I want a football coach who doesn't know the fight song. So for football coaches, he wants them going the other direction. I can uh, I see your point. They've they've made some hires that the people are very familiar with the fight song. I was like, it's probably better to go outside of that. Role. Yes, except that. <laughs> Not. In the words of Marv Goo, you bring in a Pete Carroll, who I don't think knows anything about USC. And Marv sits down towards the end of his life and he says, the first guy you should talk to is our partner and learn about the traditions of USC, to learn what it is to be a Trojan. And then you can do your own, your, your own thing. Yeah. And the problem, and it's not my business, the problem was they tried to imitate Pete Carroll. Yeah. And that's an impossible deal. But, but they, I, they tried to, and then they, they wanted to act like they weren't. It was one of those things they wanted to be kind of like Pete, but they didn't want to act like they were trying to uh, imitate Pete. And it, it didn't work. It, 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 just, it just doesn't work. It, it didn't work. I mean, Pete, again, is just one of a kind. And he embraced this Trojan tradition, but he made it his own. I've talked to him about this. And, and okay, well, I want to keep the Jock Rally, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it in my location. I'm going to have a player on a ladder and talk. I'm going to have a coach talk. It's not going to be the Pete Carroll show. He took this great tradition and made it as its, its own. Oh, nice. The, uh, for, yeah, I, you have my complete approval for someone that knows the truth. I mean, this is a tradition you don't want to screw up, so I'm, I'm you know, not that you need my approval, but I've, I, you, you can definitely get someone that already knows the fight song, and, I would say. And you do have uh, the Notre Dame band director is one of your guys, right? Yes, he is uh, Ken Dye. He was here my first... Five, six years, he was on my staff. He knows all my tricks. He has <laughs> guest artists. Uh, he he has, uh, he plays some contemporary music. Uh, it's obviously more conservative than the USC band. He does a lot more picture shows than I do. But he's very clever. He writes great shows. He arranges very well. Uh He's got a great fight song. So, uh, yes. Their band has gotten much better. Much better. Much better, yeah. Yes, yeah. much better. And uh, this is my last trip back to Notre Dame. Right. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, that trip. Uh, and it's interesting. I'm going to do our original show from 1973. Oh, that's great. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So this will bring back... This will tie it all together for me and for our crowd. Well, this so this is going to be your 50th year football season. Yes. Um, and so the, if we didn't really, I guess, cover this, but you're planning to retire. I think 2020, you might do like home games. Or you're kind of figuring that stuff out now, I believe. Right. But what's the secession? Like, how is this going to, you know, how you're going to hand it off? Like, how is this going to work? You definitely want someone, though, that yes. knows your system. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm. I have a great staff. I have five assistant directors, and um, I'm training two who have been with me a long time. And 
I'm I'm starting to hand things off, give them more responsibilities, getting them in front of the band more, uh, letting them do like uh, the basketball band and, and things like that. So it's a gradual procession. I think, I think what's bad and what might happen in football coaches is that one day it's Pete Carroll and the next day it's Lane Kiffin. Yeah. Well, no, I've, I've had this guy on my staff now for 10 years. So he, he understands what I do. The kids know him. The kids like him. Uh, and, and I think that's the gradual mm. succession plan. Now, I have to convince the university because it's, it's a big job. They're going to form a search committee. There's a lot of people that are going to apply. So now you have to deal with the university bureaucracy. Uh, <laughs> that always goes well, right? To make this work. <laughs> I was just thinking, one of the things you did have going for you, I guess, when you got here, uh, the song girls. How was is, how is that, you know, when you get here and the, the song girls are the song girls? You know, I had three elements. Song girls, a horse mascot, <laughs> and I had an all-world twirler. Okay. The band, nobody cared about the band. It's the old story. You could roll a bowling ball down the field, and you wouldn't hit any band guys. Okay. Uh, and the joke is, they couldn't spell out Trojans. They could only spell out T-R-O. And, and so I had, a deal, I had a deal with this. And uh, But now uh, I have a very good baton twirler, but she's part of the band. Uh, Traveler is still great, but now, you know, I control <laughs> in response to the team when the horse comes out. Uh, the song goes, we work very closely with. Uh, we actually pick their number. We've, we tell them where in the show it's going to be. Uh, and here it is. And they, they, of course, have their own choreographer and all of that. But it's all now integrated instead of being these these separate so, groups. So Trailer kind of was on his own? Was it like... He was on his own. <laughs> he was just, he'd just come when he would show up. When, <laughs> that's my, great. <laughs> a great story is uh, my first budget was $15,000. 5000 went to the horse. <laughs> 5000 went to the Song Girls Spirit Squad. 5000 Went to the band. Wow. Wow. Scary. <laughs> I became a fundraiser in a hurry. Yeah. You want new uniforms? You have to go out and raise money. And this is true to today. We had this last weekend, we had a uh, Support USC Day. I forget what they call it, but it's a university-wide uh, where you can give back to the university. And our goal was new uniforms. So it really hasn't changed in 49 years. You want new uniforms, you have to go out and raise the money for it. You want new instruments, you have to go out and raise the money. Yeah. The athletic department does help with travel back to Notre Dame. That's good. The uh, You went to Michigan, so I know I've talked to some people on your staff that said, you know, you never thought of yourself as a, you know, you're a true Trojan, but this Friday you're going to be getting 
an honorary degree from USC. So maybe talk about that a little bit. Oh, you know, I'm absolutely thrilled and excited and just beyond belief. And it's something I never expected. Band directors don't get honorary degrees. Band directors normally don't get promoted. Uh, you know, they don't become professors. It's, it's, it's just an anomaly. Now, I have never marched in a procession on graduation. Why? I was either playing the trumpet, I was conducting, I was always working. I, I never, something I never did. Now, at the end of my career, I get to possess with the president of the university, the trustees, the deans, I'm going like, wow. And I can't say it's a dream come true because I never expected, not in a thousand years would I expect something like this. Yeah, well, that's cool, congratulations on that. That's uh, well, well that's thank awesome. you. Yeah, it, this is, I mean, it's pretty yeah. amazing just to see how far the band has come from you know 1970 to today and what you've really made it into and uh for you know, for 50 years just to do something that long is absolutely i mean you start when you're 30 years old uh it's pretty amazing also since there is nothing else to say that's like the usc what bands do you like that would automatically not be like the usc band but when you look around the college you know world what bands do you watch and say man that's a really good band well before i answer that the secret is, it's the students. And again, if you want to give me credit, it's that I have changed with the students. And, and, and I, maybe a lot of band directors can't do that. But I have changed. You know, what are you listening to today? Well, maybe they're not listening to Chicago today. Now, not everything works, but uh, like, Who's Demi Lovato? I don't know. The kids tell me that. <laughs> Who, who's Lady Gaga? I, I don't know. Well, well, now we play Bad Romance. Uh, we play Confident. Uh, we're, we're playing Cardi B. Who's Cardi B? I'm a classical big band guy. I'm a jazz guy. Yeah. I don't know these people. <laughs> so what happened? It's the kids. And we send out a survey. What shows do you like? What shows don't like? What new shows would you like to do? They like Marvel now. They want to do the Avengers. Oh, they yeah. want to do, you know. Okay, I'll yeah. listen. I'll look at the movies. I'll, you know. And so the one thing I've tried to do through the years is take feedback and change to what the students, where the students are today. Yeah. Now, Bands, I, I would say, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I still like Ohio State. Okay. Even when I was at Michigan, I liked Ohio State. Now, it's funny. I'll play Ohio. When we played Ohio State in the bowl game in Texas, don't talk about the game. Yeah. Uh, they were great at halftime. But now we had a battle of the bands. Now they're still playing stuff from the 50s yeah. and from the 60s. Hang down, Sloopy. Yeah. They're playing. <laughs> we're playing Carney B. Yeah. We're playing the latest top 10 hit. 
not to embarrass them. It's a great band. But we smoked them. We smoked them. <laughs> I, I was there. Yeah. Even their band. Yeah. Even their <laughs> band. We're doing Tower of Power. <laughs> we're, you see, it's not, but that's, that's the USC band. Yeah. As great as that, that band is. And, and, and the other thing, I have always been, always has a huge affection for the African-American bands. I've always been a Grambling fan, a Southern fan, a Florida A&M. Why? They're playing the latest music right off the soul charts, the blues charts. And you, you go to their halftime shows, and it's like a jukebox show. And everybody in that crowd knows every one of those tunes, and they're singing along. It's not like these other bands that, you know, imitate the drum and bugle corps shows because the crowd doesn't know what they're playing. And you do all these fancy drills and you you admire them and you're going, whoa, man, I wish we could do that. But it has no crowd appeal. Mm -hmm. So I, I've kind of leaned towards these bands and kind of interface with their directors and 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 again we can't be like them but we can be maybe the USC version of what they do yeah and uh so and I love those bands we went to we went to Japan and I learned we went to Japan we played Oregon State in Japan, one of the ball games. Right. I forget the ball yeah. game. <laughs> they invited the USC band and the Grambling band. Oregon State did get invited, <laughs> and they were playing the game. So now we have the Battle of the Bands. The Grambling band smoked us. <laughs> and, 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 and the reason why, I mean, we move a lot. We move probably more than... 95% of the bands. But the Grambling band, they move every note, every phrase. Every... <laughs> and I had song girls come up and said, why aren't we like the Grambling band? <laughs> I said, I think the reason is obvious. You know, we, you know, we can't move like that. <laughs> you know, but, but still, it was kind of the opposite of the Ohio State story. Yeah. They, so I'm going like, well, I got to do a better job. I got to go, you know, you know, we got to move a little bit more. We got to do some more contemporary steps. By the way, the kids, kids write the dance steps. And the kids put steps to our to our music. It's not me. I'd still be doing the Charleston or, you know. But it's the kids who choreograph our music. Is that where the idea came from, like watching the Grambling Man? Because you see, you know, during performances, some some sections or the whole band will stop playing and start dancing and everything, yeah. which you don't you, you you don't see like a Michigan or Ohio State doing that. I don't think. No, you don't. It, it's it's just it's it's in their soul. It, it's just who they are, and uh, and it it's some of the steps they do. It's pretty hard in play to play. It's almost impossible. Yeah. They're on they're on their backs and rolling right, around yeah. and 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 I'm in awe, but 
you know, to me, it's always the music comes first. Right. You got to sound great. Yeah. First. And then you can do the rest of it. So, <laughs> but the kids are clever. My kids are clever. They find a way to do it. Nice. Well, Dr. Bartner, we really appreciate the uh, the time. And uh, it's fun to be able to talk with you. Congratulations on 49, you know, pushing 50 years. And uh, we're definitely looking forward to see what the future of the band is. It's always been a, you know, no matter, like you said, no matter how good or bad the football team is, the band is always consistent. So, again, we appreciate you coming on. Well, I want to leave with one date for your audiences to save. And that's May 2nd, 2020. Because okay. that's the conclusion of my 50th year. And we'll have a big celebration out on Cromwell Field, our practice field that we share with the track team. And we'll have a big celebration. And we'll play all your favorite tunes. All right. And have a big fireworks show and a big celebration. Awesome. May 2nd. 2020. All right. So this, yes. So this will be your fit. This is the 50th football season, correct? Yeah. Yes. That will be the conclusion of 50 years. Wow. All right. Well, good stuff. Uh, thanks again, Dr. Bartner. Um, really appreciate the time. You're welcome. All right. That's uh, that's the show today. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.